Tonight is the first night of Thrive for 2021. And uh, what I want to do tonight, uh, we're, we're not in a series, this is just sort of a one-off message, uh, but I, I want to start with a verse. So in Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. So what that means is that Jesus has to be the foundation. If you're trying to build your life on anything else other than Jesus, then it will fail. And, you know, it'll, it'll either, either fail in this life or it'll ultimately fail into eternity. And so what is the foundation that you're building on as you go into this next year? Um, what I want to do tonight is talk about what it can look like when you build your life on the foundation of Jesus. And to do that, I want to look at the book of Hebrews tonight, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, which some of you might uh, recognize as the, the chapter that's sometimes been called the Hall of Faith. So not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. All of these uh, famous characters in the Bible who walked by faith. And so uh, the title of this message tonight, uh, kind of based on this theme, is Following Jesus in 2020. Or not 2020. Thank goodness, not 2020. 2021. <laughs> Following Jesus in 2021. Uh, so what I want to do is read this chapter. It's, it's a long chapter, um, but I want to actually do something I don't usually do, which is read a long chapter for you, uh, because sometimes the very best thing you can do is just to let Scripture speak for itself, okay? So I would actually encourage you, grab a Bible uh, or grab, you know, the Bible on your phone. I'm not a big fan of the Bible on the phone thing, but you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. And uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 11, that's in the New Testament. And this is all about what it looks like to live on the foundation of Jesus by faith. Verse 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. 
All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended by their, uh, for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. It's not good. I kind of feel like we got to do like a seventh inning stretch now. It's such a long, big chapter. But it's, it, it's, it's a really, really good chapter. Let me show you why. Um, so <clears throat> the reason I wanted to talk about this tonight is uh, what, what this chapter is describing here is what it looks like to build on the foundation of Jesus. Um, what this makes me think of, a number of years ago, there was a, there was a missionary couple uh, that came to my church 
and they shared some of their story, and uh, they were, were explaining how they, they, had, you know, they were living in, I think, New York City. They were you know, these very um, wealthy, kind of high, upper crust uh, people who had these really good jobs, and they, and they just began to realize that, you know, hey, we call ourselves Christians. There's got to be more to life than this. And so they prayed one day. They said, God, we want to experience you. We want to experience you, God. And God answered that prayer. Um, you know, long story short, he led them away from their jobs. They wound up becoming missionaries in a, in a country in East Asia. And, and just like the, the amount of, of, of uh, fruit that has come out of uh, that ministry is just astronomical. Thousands and thousands of lives that have been touched. And so they got to experience God. This is what this chapter is about. Like, what would it look like if 2021... Um, were a year where you experienced God. And so I want to talk about what this can look like. Uh, and this chapter, by the way, you'll notice there's a key word in this chapter. Anyone, anyone have a sense of what it might be? Faith. faith, yeah. Okay, so over and over again, you know, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. What, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I'm going to look at this tonight just by uh, show, taking us through three things here. Number one, we got to look at what, what does faith mean? What's the definition of faith? Number one. Number two, okay, faith. Well, once we know what it is, what, what does that mean? What does that do for you? Uh, we're going to talk about the power of faith. And then most importantly of all, last thing is, what is the source of faith? So you got the definition of faith, power of faith, the source of faith. Uh, so, okay, first of all, verse one. Uh, now, this is so great because you know what? The author actually tells you straight up what faith is. Uh, anyone uh, want to read this for us? Just, just so, someone who's got a Bible in front of them. Just read, read out verse 1, would you? Yeah, go for it. Be, be loud so we, can all can, we all can hear. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so, you know, that's... Uh, that's great. Here's a, I'm just going to read this in, in one other way that you can, you can translate that. Uh, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen and the evidence of things we cannot see. Uh, so now there's two parts to that definition there. Uh, I want to look at them both, starting with that, that second part. So the second part says that faith is the evidence of things we cannot see. Uh, so what that means is that faith is not a feeling. Um, you know, it's not like, um, you know, the, the other day I was actually in Salt Lake City um, over the weekend with, uh, and, and uh, you know, Salt Lake City is sort of the headquarters of Mormonism. And, uh, you know, if you guys have Mormon friends or maybe you're here tonight and you're Mormon, I don't know. Uh, but uh, there, there's, uh, in, in Mormonism, the idea that if you want to know uh, whether you can trust the Book of Mormon, you have to pray about it and then you'll kind of experience a feeling, uh, some sort of confirmation that it's true. Um, but faith is not a feeling. Um, to have faith is not to kind of grit your teeth and, and, and clench your fists and so you feel deep down that Christianity is true and that Jesus is real. Um, but what this is saying in Hebrews is that, that it's based on evidence. And in fact, it says something that's even more profound. It actually says that faith literally is evidence. So pretty, pretty interesting, right? How does this work? Um, you know, so we would think that faith needs evidence. How can faith be evidence? Uh, well, here's what I think this means. So I'm actually, I'm borrowing this from a guy named John Piper. So faith, uh, here's, here's kind of his, his thought on this. It's kind of like what you might call spiritual tasting, you know? So, um, you know, imagine that you're, you're making cookies because you're, you know, you've been quarantined. 
the last nine months, right? So, you know, got some time to bake some things. Anyone here get into sourdough? That was the big trend back in March. Yeah, okay. So, anyway, you're baking. You're, so you're baking some cookies. And, uh, you know, how do you know whether the final product is going to be any good? Well, you, 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 you eat the cookie dough. You know, you stick your finger in. You kind of. So some people don't even get past that stage. Like, the cookies don't even make it into the oven because all they do is you just eat the dough. Uh, some of you are probably among us tonight. But, uh, you know, you, you taste it, then you say, dang, that's going to be a really good batch of cookies. So, so tasting it is actually the only way that you can know whether you've made a really good batch of cookies. You could pull out a professional chemistry set. You know, you could subject the cookie dough to, like, every kind of test known to man. And yet you'd still never have any actual evidence of whether it's going to taste good. You've got to actually taste it to know that. And so this is a little bit like what happens when faith is formed in a believer. So when faith is formed in a believer, what that means is that God has given you a little taste of spiritual reality. And that little taste then can produce an assurance or a confidence about all the much bigger reality that maybe we can't taste. You know, like we serve a God who's big, who's infinite. You know, like I don't ever expect that I would be able to fully fit that God inside my head. And yet God reveals himself to us. He gives us a little taste of who he is so that we can have assurance and confidence to trust him in everything. So uh, look again at verse 1. That's kind of the, we looked at the one part of the definition, but then there's also this part. So it says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. So... uh, Some of you might remember there's a verse in the Bible in the book of Psalms that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, So the result here is that that when you taste and see that God God is good, you have a greater confidence that he is who he says he is and that he'll he'll do what he says he'll do. Um, And this is why um, one person has defined faith like this. says that faith is confident obedience to God's word, or you could even just say, you know, to God. Faith is confident obedience to God no matter the circumstances or consequences. So that means like even when it doesn't make sense, um, even when it seems like God is, is confusing or is leading you in a direction that you don't want to go, um, faith means being more sure of God and of what he says than of the world and what the world says. Does that make sense? So there's the definition of faith. Now, really quick, just notice about that, that this actually dispels two really important myths about what faith is. And here they are. Number one is that only stupid people have faith. So, uh, you know, I don't mean to insult you tonight, but, you know, I bet there are a lot of people who, if I asked you, hey, do you have faith, you'd all raise your hand. Uh, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, say that you're stupid because that's the myth, right? So I'm trying to, like, disprove the myth. So the myth is only stupid people have faith. The reason I say this is because, uh, take, you know, some of you might have heard of uh, the famous atheist Richard Dawkins. And this is what he says. Uh, So here's a quote. He says, Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. Now, in English, we have a word that describes someone who believes things without evidence and that kind of just puts their head in the sand. And the word is insane. Insane, like it would be insane to believe something um, just because you kind of close your eyes and grit your teeth and say you want to believe it. And Christians are not called to do that. We're called to be people of the truth. Not people of myths, not people of conspiracy, but people of truth. And so, you know, maybe you've heard that charge before that Christians are people who just kind of turn their brains off. 
But verse 1 says that's not the case. That the assurance of faith actually comes from evidence. It comes from an experience of God's truth and God's reality. Uh, so that the only rational thing that you can conclude is that he is real. Uh, so the example of this in what we read is Abraham. So uh, Abraham, in, uh, this is in verse 19, uh, this is where Abraham is, is being challenged by God to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And, uh, you know, Abraham, here's what it says. He says, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. So where did Abraham's faith in God come from? Well, it came from evidence, from reason. And he said, you know, kind of to himself, you know, I imagine it went something like this. He said, man, you know, sacrificing my son doesn't make a lot of sense. And yet, like, what does the evidence say? What did the facts say? Well, the facts say, number one, God has had me do some pretty crazy things before. Like, he had me, like, he, he told me that I would have a son. <laughs> I'm like over, you know, 90 years old. How could anyone over 90 years old have a son? But sure enough, God fulfilled his promise. So fact number one, Abraham knows that this is a God who keeps his word. Fact number two, Abraham knows already that this is a God who can do miracles. And so Abraham says, well, here's the evidence for what I know this God to be. Well, therefore, when I apply that evidence to what God is telling me now, you know, he would have thought, well, God said, Isaac is going to be my heir. So therefore, even if he dies on that altar, somehow God is going to be able to miraculously bring him back from the dead. And sure enough, Abraham was right. So, uh, you know, let me just give you one more example of this. You know, so uh, anyone ever here go to summer camp? Any summer campers here? Okay. Um, I went to summer camp once. It was a traumatizing experience, which I will explain to you some other time. I think I've actually explained this to you guys before. So anyway, uh, you know, so anyone who's been to summer camp ever go on the high ropes course before? Okay. Okay. So I, I, I see some enthusiasm. That's good. So uh, you know how usually at the end of the high ropes course, there's a platform and you got to jump and grab the little, you know, the bar thing. It's like the, the big free fall. So when you're, when you're up on that platform, um, and you're, and you're looking at the jump and you're kind of pondering, do I do the jump? Do I do the jump? Do I do the jump? Why do you actually take the, you know, why do you actually do it? Why do you actually jump in the end? Well, I'll tell you um, the reason why you don't want to do it. The reason you don't want to do it is because you're walking by sight. You know, you're looking down, you're like, oh my gosh, like it's a long way down. I don't want to do that. But then, you know, what do you do? You kind of step back and you think to yourself, well, I'm wearing this really sturdy harness, right? You know, and there's a really like trustworthy guy down there who's holding the rope. And so you kind of say, well, based on like, not necessarily so much all the things I, 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 I might see, but just what I know to be true about like the strength of the harness and the guy down there, like by faith actually is the reason why you take the jump. And your faith isn't blind, it's not misplaced, it's actually, it's real, it's solid, it's true. So all this to say, faith is not blind and it's not that only stupid people have faith. That's myth number one. Myth number two is that only strong people have faith. And that also is false. Um, here's, okay, here's what I think a lot of times happens. I think a lot of times um, Christians think about it like this. They think, okay, I've just got to like believe really, really hard in all of these things. And then I'll be, you know, I'll be a really spiritual person. And, and that is not the case. Um, there's a verse in the book of 1 Peter, and here's what it says. It says, God raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in yourself? No, it doesn't say that. 
in your feelings? No, it doesn't say that. It says, so your faith and hope are in God. And so what that means is that faith is faith in God. It's only, uh, it's only on the basis of God and who he is that faith can be strong. So another way of putting that, faith is only as good as its object. It's only as strong as its object. And that means that your faith is strong not because like your belief is strong, but because the God you believe in is strong. And that is such good news because every single person, every single person is going to have times where their faith feels really, really weak. And when your faith feels like, man, I just, I'm trying to hold on to Jesus and I just can't. I feel like I'm letting go of him. I want to tell you tonight that the good news is that it's not a matter of how much you're holding on to Jesus. It's a matter of how he is holding on to you. It's a matter of him holding on to you. And what that means is that when your faith feels weak, you don't need stronger shoulders. You need weaker knees. You don't need stronger shoulders. You need weaker knees. I don't know what you guys are laughing about. I probably said something stupid without even realizing it. This has been a problem my whole life. I, you know, I was the kid in middle school who didn't realize which words were swear words. And uh, I'm sure you can imagine what happened. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Allison. Okay, moving on, moving on. I want to talk a little bit about, okay, now we know what faith is. Well, so what? What does it do? What does it look like to actually kind of live out a faith like that, to build your life on Jesus? Uh, so I want to look at, at uh, what, what is the power of faith all about? Um, here, here's my thesis statement. This chapter doesn't only tell you what faith is, but it tells you that faith is the most powerful force in the world, okay? It's the most powerful force in the world. And to, do, uh, to, to show you this, um, what I want to do is, is actually give you an acronym here. It just kind of walks through the ways in which this chapter shows this. So um, the reason that this chapter kind of tells you about the power of faith is that you'll notice it's one big catalog of all of these people. You know, you've got like Abraham and Noah and Moses and, you know, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all these people who are, are, are characters in the Bible. And, and you'll notice that it's sort of like this one big long record of all the crazy things that God did through them. And so it's therefore a demonstration of what can happen um, when someone is building their life on the foundation of Jesus by faith. And so uh, I, I put this little acronym up here, um, you know, power of faith, so P-O-W-E-R. First of all, uh, the first thing about faith is that uh, you can say in this chapter, faith pleases God, number one. Uh, look at verse four here. So this is the story of Abel. It says it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Um, so this is, you know, Cain and Abel, who uh, are the, the first kind of pair of brothers in the Bible. And uh, one day Cain and Abel both bring different sacrifices to God. God approves of Abel's, but doesn't approve of Cain's. And Cain gets mad and kills Abel. Um, now, uh, this, this question uh, the, the, the story is about, really, is kind of the most fundamental question. Well, what is it that actually pleases God? Why was Abel's sacrifice accepted, and why was Cain's not? I mean, there's a lot of, you know, different reasons that people have tried to, you know, they've tried to explain that through, but the, 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 this, this chapter kind of explains it for you. 
And it says, um, I think it's in verse 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it's saying that somehow when Abel brought that offering to God, he did that in faith. He did that trusting that, God, it's not a matter of how good I am. It's not a matter of what I can bring to you. But I trust that because you're a good and righteous God, that, that you can accept me on the basis of who you are rather than who I am. And Hebrews goes on to say that without faith like that, it's impossible to please God. And that's really important because here's what most, uh, most human beings, I think probably all human beings, are deep down hardwired to believe. And it's that the thing that pleases God is what I do. The thing that pleases God is what I do. So, for example, like if I'm a good person and if I um, treat people with respect— or if I go to church, or if I read my Bible every morning, then God is pleased with me. And this is not true. God, okay, here's a pretty mind-blowing fact. Like, God can't love you any more than he already does. Like, if you were to, like, right here, right now, leave Thrive tonight, and I, I, I hope this doesn't happen, but if this were to happen, if you were to leave Thrive tonight, and then just completely go off the rails and just, like, destroy your life and just go up and do a bunch of stupid, sinful things, that would not change how much God loves you. Because the reason God loves you is not because of you. It's because of him. It's because of what Jesus did when he came down and died on the cross. He completely satisfied all of the requirements of a a righteous and holy God so that Jesus could look at us and say, this is my beloved son because he belongs to me. Or this is my beloved daughter because she belongs to me. So if you know that faith is what pleases God, that means that you can actually rest. You don't have to constantly be running on this hamster wheel of trying to do all these things in order to be acceptable in in the eyes of God or even acceptable in the eyes of yourself. You know, like that's kind of the concept of like self-esteem. Like why is self-esteem such a hard thing? Well, because we know deep down that we're not enough and that we're not all that we should be. But I want to tell you, like, the gospel is good news because it's not good advice to be followed. The gospel is good news to be believed. It's good news to be believed. Um, just, you know, remember that there's, a, there's a, a part in the Bible that is all about this. When Jesus has some, some crowds who come to him, you remember what they ask him? They say, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And so you read that and you think, oh, you know, works. That's what it is. <laughs> you know, mankind is always looking for something to do. The Philippian jailer said to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? But no, what Jesus said in reply is, the works of God are to believe in the one whom he has sent. In other words, to, to, to put your faith in Jesus and to say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that there's nothing I could ever do in myself to to, to be enough, but I know that what you've done is enough. And so I'm going to rest in what you've done for me and actually believe Jesus when on the cross he said, it is finished. There's nothing more that can be added to that. None of your good works can change how much God loves you. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You can't add anything to it, but (laughs) Jesus plus anything equals nothing. If you try to add anything to what he already finished for you on the cross, then it's useless. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's good news. Number two, 
faith pleases God, the next thing this chapter teaches us is that faith obeys even when it doesn't make sense. Faith obeys even when it doesn't make sense. So uh, one example of this, there's many, but uh, like look at the story of Noah here. So verse 7, read this one more time. It says, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God. He warned him about things that had never happened before. So this is like a classic doesn't make any kind of sense story. So like back in that day, they had never even seen rain before. And God tells Noah, there's going to be this big flood. You better build an ark. And so for like around 100 years, Noah is building this ark. And just think about what all the people around him would have thought. They would have thought, this guy's an idiot. (laughs) This guy's insane. Why is he building this big boat? There's not going to be a judgment that'll come. But sure enough, there was. Faith obeys even when it doesn't make sense. And, uh, you know, by the way, I I would say that the, the older that I've gotten, the more I've realized that God knows what he's doing. Um, and that he is the only one who's actually worthy of your obedience. Just a quick story. Um, about five, six years ago, um, I went through a pretty heartbreaking turn of events where I had traveled uh, to the UK and had lived there for two years because I was looking into a job opportunity. Um, and had been kind of given some assurances that, well, if you do this, this nine-month program and you finish this, then there may be some opportunities for you to work with this organization that I really wanted to work with. And so I went over there, and I, I did what they told me to do, but then at the end of that time, um, knocked on the door, knocked on the door, and nothing happened. It was as though, like, the whole thing just vanished right before my eyes, and I was so confused. I, you know, left my country to go to this place and to get this job, and it didn't work out. Well, at the time, I was really heartbroken. I was really confused. I just felt aimless and didn't know what God was doing. Uh, but at the same time, just, you know, said, I want to I just continue to follow God and just walk in obedience to what he has told me. Um, and that's what led me here. <laughs> well, fast forward five years, and that very organization, um, actually, as we speak, is now embroiled in just, like, tremendous scandal. It's not even clear whether it's going to survive. And so I'm looking at this now and realizing, oh, my goodness. Like, I am so thankful <laughs> that I didn't wind up getting a job because uh, I would probably not have, you know, I would have been embroiled in this whole thing too. And so God is good. And if Jesus really is Lord, then one of the things that means is that you can trust him with your future. You can trust him with your future, even when you're confused, even when you're afraid, and even when it doesn't make any sense. So faith obeys even when it doesn't make sense. Faith waits for God's promises So that's uh, verses 13 through 16. Um, This is so cool. It says, All of these people died still believing what God had promised them, but they did not receive what was promised. They saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. So in other words, all the people in this chapter, they all died, and they all didn't get what God had promised them. And so faith, one of the the characteristics of faith is that faith is faith that waits. And that God is not necessarily going to just instantly be like an instant gratification God. God is not a vending machine. You know, it's not as though we just kind of go to God and say, God, give me this. And God says, okay, you know, I'm serving you, so I'll just give you whatever. No, like God is actually wiser than we are, which is why sometimes God doesn't give you immediately what you want. Because, as has been said, 
God only gives us what we would ask for if we knew everything he knows. God, would only, God only gives us what we would ask for if we knew everything he knows. You know, so like I was asking him, God, give me this job, give me this job, give me this job. He didn't give me the job. Well, I'm actually thankful he didn't give me the job because I wasn't wise enough to know that it wouldn't have actually been for my good and his glory. And so in the same way, sometimes uh, faith, uh, faith involves waiting. Um, that's all the people in this chapter. And in fact, that's true for every single believer that ultimately like our, our promises um, that God has given us um, pertain to things that we're not going to be able to experience until when Christ comes back or until we die and go and be with him. So faith waits for the promises of God. Two more here. This one's important. Faith endures opposition and suffering. Faith endures opposition and suffering. So this is like uh, the story of Moses. So Moses is this guy who it says, he, uh, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. So, again, being a Christian is like going up the down escalator, and there are going to be a lot of ways in which the world says, you're crazy for living like this. You know, you're crazy for, like, taking this lower-paying job rather than this other job because, you know, you believe that that's what God's calling you to do. Or you're crazy to go off to the mission field and, and like, move away from a country that has all of these comforts like America in order that you to go live in, like, a little, uh, you know, mud hut. I actually had a professor who did that. He lived in a mud hut in Nigeria for five years translating the Bible. In the world's eyes, that's crazy. You know, this guy, he had an engineering degree. He could have made probably six figures if he had wanted to. But instead, he went the other way. So faith is going to give you the power and the motivation to go against the grain and to actually have a spine. You know, right now, if you look around in our, in our world and in our nation, like there's a lot of spineless people who are just going to do what the crowd wants them to do. Faith gives you the courage to actually stand up and say, you know what? <laughs> Jesus is better. <laughs> He's better. And he's worth it. He's worth the scorn. He's worth the opposition. I'm going to follow him, even if it means everyone else is going the other way. And then last of all, um, and this one may be most important of all, faith rescues from death. Faith rescues from death. Um, anyone here able to uh, recite Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? It's a good memory verse. Anyone know that verse? Anyone, anyone? Okay, well, you guys, man, you guys, you guys, I'm going to talk to you guys about that later. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So you, so you notice there, it actually says that salvation comes through faith. And it's through faith that, like, you come to put your trust in what Jesus has done in his fi finished work. Um, just, you know, as to how that kind of works practically, um, this is an illustration I, I've shared before. I love sharing this illustration. I'll never get tired of it because it's just so true. Um, so this is the, 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 the story that is told about a guy who was like one of the early settlers. You know, so back in the pioneer days, a lot of people would get in covered wagons and they would go from like the east out into the, to the west. You know, so like if you grew up playing Oregon Trail in, in school, anyone play Oregon Trail? 
So it's one of those kind of guys, yeah? And um, the thing that every settler would be afraid of was a prairie fire, because if you're out there on the prairie, you see smoke on the horizon. That fire can move faster than a horse. And so you knew that you had a matter of, like, seconds even before that fire came and destroyed your whole house, burned up your whole family. So one day a farmer is out, on the, uh, out in the field, and he sees smoke on the horizon. He knows what it means. And so he very wisely takes a match, and he stands outside his house, and he drops the match. There's a little ring of fire that's lit uh, down by his feet. And, and the wind takes that fire, and it blows it in the opposite direction. And then the guy takes his family, and he has his family come and stand on the burnt place on the ground where the fire had already been. And that way, when the prairie fire blew through, it couldn't burn up that place because they were standing where the fire had already been. And this is what saving faith is. Saving faith is to stand where the fire has already been. Because on the cross, the fire of God's judgment fell. And Jesus took upon all of the punishment that we deserved so that we could have a place where by trusting in him, we could be where the fire has already been in order to not face the judgment that we deserve. So faith is so powerful. I mean, look at all these things. Faith is what pleases God, not your works. It obeys even when it doesn't make sense. It waits for God's promises. It endures opposition and suffering, and it rescues from death. Now, one final thing here, and this is the, the $10 million question. How, how do you do this? What is the source of faith? You know, it's one thing to know what it is. It's one thing to know how cool it is, how powerful it is. But the biggest question is, well, what does it actually look like? Where, where do I get this faith? Where do I get this faith? And this book is going to tell you the answer because, um, you know, I said at the beginning, this chapter is the hall of faith or the hall of fame of faith. But there's actually one very significant person who has been left off of this list. You know who it is? It's Jesus. And he has been, <laughs> he's not really left off the list. He's just, the, he, he's just included, not in this chapter, but in the very next chapter. If you go to chapter 12, chapter 12 has one final person in the hall of fame, and it's Jesus. And here's what it says in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So see, there it is. So th th this is saying Jesus is the source of where faith comes from. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith, um, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus is where faith comes from. He's the one who's been in the spotlight throughout this whole book of Hebrews. Because the, the, the point is, when you look at Jesus, and when you realize how much he has loved you, and when you realize how much he's done for you, then why would you want to put your faith in anything else? <laughs> I mean, faith is trust. You know, if I were to sit down on that chair in front of me there, it's essentially my way of saying, like, I have trust that this chair is going to hold my weight. You know, I have trust that if I sit down in this chair, it's not going to collapse in a heap on the floor. If Jesus really went to hell and back to, 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 to love you, and to, to, to love us despite the fact that we crucified him and hated him and rebelled against him, if he was willing to do that, then I ask you, who could be found who is more trustworthy than him? Is it a politician? Is it a parent? 
Is it a friend? (laughs) Every single one of those people will let you down. Jesus Christ is the only person who is worthy of your faith. And when you look at him and you see what he did, that is where faith springs up from. And so this is the source of faith. You know, it's been said that a glance at Christ will save, but it's the gazing at Christ that sanctifies. It's a glance at Christ that saves, but it's the gazing at Christ that sanctifies. And so you might be here tonight, you might be thinking, man, like, I'm a Christian, but I just feel like I'm going into 2021, and I want to live a life that's, like, just so dynamic and powerful, like, in this chapter, but I just don't feel like I have the faith for that. Jesus is the source of faith. It's as you gaze at him that faith is built. And so I want to just wrap this up tonight um, by reading just one more time this verse. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. What would it look like if 2021 were a year where instead of so many other things um, that could pull our hearts away and cause us to worry and to fret, what if Jesus were inviting us to look at him to have faith rise up in us as we come to fall in love with him and what he's done for us, and if we actually lived that out as a community. So, Hebrews chapter 11. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, just, man, letting us gather tonight, Um, and thank you for just this um, word from this book about what it looks like um, to build our lives with you as the foundation. And just would you help us do that? Um, as we move into a new year um, full of opportunity, full of uncertainty. Um, But Lord, just thank you that in the midst of all of that, you're the only one um, that is trustworthy enough to be that foundation. Help us build on that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.